recording issue or we we're going along. John chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there was, were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. But when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast said to the bridegroom, excuse me, called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And they did not stay there many days. So we have begun this laying out by the Apostle John. By the way, the Gospel of John, as I've mentioned before, was one of the last books of the New Testament to be written. All of John's writings, his gospel, the three epistles, the book of Revelation, were all written towards the close of his apostolic ministry. And he was an apostle for 50-plus years. He was the last of the 12 to enter the presence of the Lord. So far as we know, he was the only apostle to enter the presence of the Lord who wasn't murdered by the Roman authorities. Now, it wasn't for lack of trying. They did sentence him to death. We're going to pour boiling oil on this fellow. Well, it didn't kill him. So here is this fellow who has been had boiling oil poured on him, who is, oh, now what do we do? We've carried out the sentence. They sent him to the Isle of Patmos, a prison island off the west coast of what is modern-day Turkey, ancient province of Asia. It's an island there off the west side of west province of Asia. And, but he wrote this gospel and the three letters and the book of Revelation. Of course, he was on the island of Patmos when he wrote it. What did he endure just to pick up on our prairie quest? What did he endure that put him in that isolation there? Now he had fellow prisoners that were with him, but he's basically in a 
I got nothing else to do situation here on the island of Patmos. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ was what Jesus brought produced through him in that point. Can we say joy comes in the morning? Yes. But he's writing this gospel towards the end of his ministry. One of the interesting things about the Apostle John that also sets him apart is a couple things. In this entire gospel, he never says his own name. He was one of the two initial apostles. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says to of Jesus, to his disciples, he says of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as Jesus is walking by. And these two disciples, Andrew, and the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is how John identifies himself in this gospel. He never names his name. He is a disciple whom Jesus loved when he does cite himself. They started following Jesus. And Jesus turned to them, what are you seeking? Where are you going? Wherever you are, that's where we want to go. Fine, join me. And then they witness other disciples being called in very powerful ways, which we've already addressed uh, in former messages. Well, now we come here. Cana is in Galilee. A lot of people are there for this wedding. Now, let me share something about wedding feasts in the ancient world. If you were invited to a wedding and you said yes, you just agreed to a really expensive gift. You are going to bring this couple a really important gift that they will need for the sustaining of their household in days to come. It's going to be a practical gift. In return, they're going to put on an enormous, wonderful, outrageous banquet. That is your payback for the wonderful gift you gave them. Problem, if the banquet doesn't live up to its advertising, you can literally go to court and demand your gift back. So what's happening? They have got, they are attending this wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus is there with disciples. We don't know the number at this point, but probably at least half a dozen just based on the previous narrative. And his mother and his bro four brothers are there. By the way, Jesus' brothers in the Gospel of John is... They don't come to Christ, faith in Christ, their, their brother and Savior, until after his resurrection. The next time they occur in the Gospel of John, they are mocking their brother. They are not believers, but their mother obviously is. She was, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. She knows who her son is. He is the son of God. Now, his humanity was drawn from her, but he is God, come in the flesh, fully God. And by the way, in the Luke narrative, in this uh, segment called the Magnificat of Mary, where she comes into the household of Elizabeth, her cousin, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, she's about six months earlier than Mary, and she comes in, 
she's carrying Jesus, probably isn't showing yet, and she comes into the household of her bar- of her much older aunt, Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's yet-to-be-born baby leaps in her womb with joy. And by the way, the Bible says he was filled with the Spirit from inside of his mother's womb. Okay. And Mary says, when Elizabeth tells her this, voices this great testimony and praise, wow, the mother of my Lord has come into my house. And Jesus is called the Magnificat of Mary, the very first line, my soul magnifies the Lord who has lifted up his handmaid. Mary never, ever, 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 ever elevated herself. She never made a claim for a special standing with her son because she is the mother of his humanity. She never does that. And in fact, we read this passage that I've already read to you. And especially if you're hearing it with first century, now it sounds pretty awkward to us. It sounded much more than awkward to a first century Mediterranean world reader. It would have been shocking. What happens? They go to this wedding in Cana of Galilee. His mother is there. His brothers are there. By the way, the scripture also says that he had sisters which are probably married at home in Nazareth. Okay. On the third day, bang, 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 in John chapter 1, this day, then this day, then this day, Verse chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day of his disciples following him, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. They hadn't crashed the party. <laughs> and when they, had, they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman. And as soon as you read that word, with first century Mediterranean ears, you're going, what? What? Woman. What does your concern have to do with it? Now, let me back up. If you were a husband, it was not considered at all insulting for you to address your wife as woman. If you were a, a, a vendor out there in the marketplace where people would come to buy their vegetables, their meat, and all their and you brought in this woman showed up with her basket to fill. It was not considered insulting at all for the shopkeeper to say, woman. The one exception was a son with his mother. A son would never address his mother as woman. Why does Jesus do it here? And John records it. By the way, John has a special relationship. I forgot to tell you that. That was the second part. John is going to take Mary to his home. Remember from the cross, Jesus uses the word woman again. Because there within sight of the cross is his mother, Mary, and two other Marys. Look, it was a really popular name. And another woman. And the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Jesus will, from the cross, look at his mother and say, Woman, behold your son. 
referencing John the Apostle. And then to John, behold your mother. And in fact, Christian history tells us that the Apostle John, even, I don't, she had four other sons, but she went with John. Even in the later part of his ministry, John the Apostle is up, he is in Ephesus. And if you take a Mediterranean cruise, and I know about this because about 50 years ago, my parents took a Mediterranean cruise, and one of the stops that the ship made was at that city. And they toured the city, and one of the places they were taken to was the cave, this place in the side of a mountain that was apparently, they say, this is where Mary lived while she was under the care of the bishop of Ephesus, the Apostle John. He took her under his wing. And this is in the 80s, 50 years later. She lived a long time with her testimony. But here Jesus is saying to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Is he going to hear her? Yes, he's going to hear her. But he's also making it very clear to all those in attendance, she does not have special standing with me because she is my mother. Does she have standing with me? Yes. The same standing that you do. And so in addressing her as woman, he is acknowledging her humanity and her need. Woman, what does your need have to do, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. It is not the time for me to come out and make great displays. But then what does he do? He does the very thing she asked. Okay. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. He just pushed her away, but then he did what she asked. Why? For the same reason he hears our prayers. He responded to her faith. Let me tell you something about Mary that I think we can all grasp this pretty well. She knew who Jesus was. <laughs> Probably more than anybody on the planet, she had a grasp. She had been meditating on the reality of who her son was since the angel appeared to her and said, you are going to be impregnated by an act of God and the... <coughs> <clears throat> the child you will bring forth will be the Son of God. I don't think you have to be a lady, a woman, to understand that's a pretty... She's been meditating, focusing on the reality of who he is for decades. If there's anybody that has an opportunity to have a depth of knowledge about the reality of who Jesus of Nazareth is, it's this woman. And she comes to him and says, they've run out of wine. Well, who is he? What has John, the apostle, emphasized in this gospel? This Jesus of Nazareth is the creator God. He is the creative agent of God the Godhead, 
In the beginning was the word, the lagos. And the lagos, the word, was with God in a face-to-face relationship. That's what the Greek word, the pros, face-to-face. And this is the Greek word word order. And God was the word. And then it says a few verses later, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it also says, by him all things were made. He is the creative agent of the Godhead. That one, that fellow, and we read the passage a couple weeks ago from Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, John got, John's gospel, in the beginning was the word. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. It was a ruin and a desolation, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, the speaker God, the Lagos, the word God, the God of the word, came out and created the world. And by the way, he didn't just create acorns, he created oak trees. It had the appearance of age. Now, with our life experience, we would have looked at the creation on the seventh day and said, why, my, what a mature, beautiful paradise this is. And if we were really dumb, we might have said, I wonder how long it took this, God to do this. It was six days. But it had the appearance of age. Well, of all the beverages on the planet, wine, you don't just harvest your grapes out and produce wine in a day. It's an aging process. Here's a beverage that has the appearance of age. And Mary says to her son, they're out of wine. Well, this puts this family in jeopardy because they could be sued. Their, Their whole party is collapsing because of this failure. Well, what does Jesus say? Here are these six pieces, these six ceramic pots that hold anywhere from 20 to 30 gallons each. So we're talking about when they're filled to the top, we're talking from 120 to 180 gallons. Think that's enough? They they top them off with water. And then he simply says to the servants, take it to the master of the feast. Now, this master of the feast is a hired man who is a professional party manager. That's his job. He is a feast master. He's a party manager. And they bring him this beverage. They've just taken it out of the pot. He's the first one to taste it. And he tastes it puts down his goblet and says to the bridegroom, yikes, well, I read the narrative. (laughs) What? You saved the best till last. That's the, Jesus didn't just turn water into wine. He turned it into the best wine that man has probably ever tasted in his life. The best. That's who Jesus is. That's who Mary, he responded to her faith. What is it about us? What is a trait supplied to all 
spirit-empowered followers of Jesus. Faith, by the way, faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. He responds to our faith as avidly as that of his mother. The woman that he just said, woman, he placed her with the rest of humanity and then responded to the faith of that human in this powerful way. The very first sign, the very first miracle of Jesus' three years of miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And it was a response to the faith of this woman who I would dare say knew more about him than maybe anybody who's ever walked on the planet ever thought. She had been meditating on him for 30 plus years. with water and they filled them to the brim and he said to them so it's not just a bottle it's anywhere between 120 and 180 gallons when the master of the feast had had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from but the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said every man at the beginning, sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Those servants knew. What do you think? If you're one of those servants, well, maybe the color has changed. You put water in. You're getting out something that's probably doesn't look like what you put in. So they already got an indication. Then they bring it to this fellow, and here is this testimony about the quality of the wine. And you are a servant. Question. You read through all of the Gospels. What level of humanity in the culture did Jesus principally disclose himself to? It was the low. It was the shepherds. It was the, as the Jewish leadership said, sinners and tax collectors. They were the principal recipients of Jesus disclosing of himself and declaration of his promises. Here are these servants who are the initial witnesses of this very first glory, very first sign. There are seven signs, and all of, of all the hundreds or thousands of miracles that Jesus did, John only lays out the details of seven in this gospel. In three years of ministry, he picks seven. What are, what are these signs? They are evidence. We just, in our Sunday school class right now, we're studying Paul's letter to the Romans. And if you read any of the gospels, let me ask you this simple question. Those who re- do not want 
to follow the Lord? Are they interested in the evidence? And when we get to the seventh sign, the seventh miracle, the resurrection of Lazarus, the response of the Jewish leadership is, now we've got two men just Jesus we have to kill Lazarus why because there's too much evidence that people are going to die are they interested in the evidence no by the way people we speak to who resist the gospel are they interested in the evidence no they're not unless God gives them an interest in the evidence. And that testimony that my wife shared about our grandson Eli, well, if you don't want to talk about Jesus, let's talk about hell. Folks, that is an authentic Bible-based incentive. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, how is that going to go for the unbelievers? who haven't repented, not well. John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict, convince, convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. And you better have my righteousness when you go to the Father because your righteousness isn't good enough, and of judgment because the prince of this world is going to be judged. Do you want to be standing shoulder to shoulder with Lucifer? He's the prince of the world. Do you want to be standing shoulder to shoulder and join him in the lake of fire created for him and, the, and his angels? Not a good idea. More, I'm going to suggest something to you here. I don't have to. More people come to faith in Jesus because of fear of hell than any other reason. And it's a good one. It's a good one. It's a real one. But these servants have heard, they witnessed this first miracle. Do you think word got out? I think word got out from these servants. And by nobody left that banquet that wedding banquet that didn't know that Jesus had been this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him wow proof we had the word of John the Baptist we've had Jesus disclosing things to Nathaniel in the close of chapter 1, that apparently nobody knew but Nathaniel, he thought, except Jesus knew it. But here is a tangible, tasteable, something for our five senses to get, one of our five senses to get hold of, proof of who Jesus is. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him, after this, he went down to Capernaum, which will be the headquarters for his, gospel, for his Galilean ministry. It's Capernaum, which is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's where Peter 
James, John, Peter, and Andrew and their families live, even though they're not from there, that's where they're living now, and went to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And they did not stay there many days. And next week we will go into what comes next in the narrative, which is Jesus going to Jerusalem and cleaning their cloth, so to speak. Well, he cleans the whole temple. Let's pray together. Our Lord, what a beautiful thing you did. The prayer requests, the testimonies this morning matched perfectly with the narrative of John's gospel. Here was a man, a bridegroom. He needed a miracle. He needed a miracle. And you, Jesus, respond to the faith of Jesus' mother, that woman of faith, and you brought deliverance. In the same way that our sister Faith shared that testimony of how their neighbor just showed up and said, we've got food for you. Here we go. You know, we, can, we can fill this need. When they had prayed to you, here was a need that was met. And I would dare say the bridegroom is thinking if he even knows of the situation at that moment. But he, if he did know about it, there's nothing I can do. Nothing I can do. But you gave answer. And the need believed God. We give you the praise and you are still today that same God. We give you all the glory and the praise. In your name, Jesus, shepherd, savior. Yes, sir.